ideally everyone can squat full range of motion but realistically not everyone can yep so certainly encourage them to get into full range of motion we're working towards that so these guys say they've got a big injury injury profile so it's not about squeezing performance out of them it's about keeping them on the pitch so they can keep playing longevity yeah longevity robustness uh yeah, it doesn't matter if they don't squat 250 ever again. It more matters that their knees are healthy, their ankles are healthy, and their lower backs are healthy. Um, so uh, back, a really a big week might be through pre-season 25 to 30. So then if they're covering, if I see three Ks of high-speed running, I'm like, oh, wow, that's, a, that's solid. Mm. I know you're working very hard and you're getting fitter. Right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Strength Institute podcast. I have got with me today the most requested guest. All right, he has now not only been on once, he's not done to the double. This is his three-peat visit. The three-peat, everybody. I've got Lewis Dallimore, the, uh, the, the strength and conditioning coach for the Kintetsu Liners, a professional rugby union team in Japan. Welcome, Louis. Thanks for having me on, Nev. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, Louis is going to be uh, on. We're going to be talking about you know, a whole bunch of things rugby-related today. Um, but before we start, if you haven't done so already, please like and subscribe. Uh, leave a comment and um, help this channel grow. I appreciate it. But uh, Louis, welcome back to Australia, mate. Uh, how long are you here for? Thanks, Nev. Just a short off-season this year, so about three weeks back in Perth. Three weeks only? Yes. All right. Yeah, we didn't have a great season, and it was uh, teams go train harder, not smarter. Uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, get back to work as soon as possible. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's dive straight in. Let's talk about your last season first, um, what you think went wrong, um, where you think you guys are going to make changes this season. Um, everyone that's watching or that plays rugby be interested to know, you know what, what the people focus on to improve in the off-season. Yeah, sure. So we had... Uh, we had a really rough season. We only f- won one game in season, and then we had how to, many? How many games are in, in season? Uh, Sixteen rounds. Okay, and we had to play off for relegation, which luckily we won, so we stayed up in first division. Yeah, but this was our first year back in first div in the new competition in Japan, and we we just struggled, I think, in the contact area and the intensity of of the game. Okay, so in second div last season or two seasons ago. Uh, we were a very dominant team. You're beating teams by 60 points. You're really not challenged physically. And then this year we've stepped up and it's just a whole different challenge. And a lot of our younger guys had never played at that level. They're not used to that level. You were playing teams. You look at Kubota. They've got say, Malcolm Marks, the Springbok. He's 124 kilos. And we've, we've got a Japanese guy who's 90 kilos and, and he's got to try and tackle him. And, yep. he, and he can't. Right. <laughs> and we lose. Okay. <laughs> so... We need to recruit bigger guys, um, bigger humans, and we also need to just condition ourselves and get ready for that next level of contact and intensity in rugby. Yeah, right. So I guess if you're um, if you're analysing the season, so that's the first thing you came up with was a lack of intensity or sort of getting dominated a bit at, at contact time. Um, how about general sort of workload? Like, Because your, your background, you were big on the GPS data as well. So are you seeing a big difference between um, Division 2 and Division 1 in terms of how much these guys are moving around? Like, Are they having to go further in games? Is that then like depleting the gas tank and that's why they're getting pushed around at contact time? Or what have you sort of noticed from that sort of statistics? Yeah, not really. So last year, like for example, if you're – we beat a team, the Temple Kamashi, and we put about 90 points on them. This is in, in second div. And because you're running so much during the game, you're running through them and just running and scoring tries and running back to the halfway line, the, the running load's really, really high. And that's the same, like, because you break it down, not just total distance, but also like sprint meters, yep. jog meters. Yep. So right? high yeah. speed running, 
uh, your number of accelerations, um, players' percentage of the top speed they're reaching, any metric you want to measure can be really, really high in second div. So the running load, the running intensity in a game in second div is still really high. Okay. Coming into first div, uh, it can be the same or a bit less just because the, the contact component and the intensity of the physical battle is so much more. So there can be bigger guys uh, and there's, for us it was more time defending rather than running through teams. Yeah. So the, yeah, the, the running load isn't really an issue. Mm. It was just more the physical side of things. Yeah, and I think that everyone that's played rugby knows that if you have to defend for a long time, it's just damaging. It's always harder yeah. to get up and move backwards and get ready to tackle again. It's always harder to go for, uh, easier to go forwards in those situations. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. So total running load, you know, pretty similar or, or you know comparable at least. Yeah. But it's just really that, that at the contact area. Yeah. So to address that, um, obviously recruitment is always important. Um, are you looking at 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 does that change how you approach your gym sessions as well? Like, are you going to be trying to put more mass on these guys or are you just looking to recruit bigger guys or are you looking at doing more contact specific like drill training? So where does that balance come from for you? Yeah, I think it's got to be all, all three. Yep. So I think um, we need to assess that, hey, the, the contact side of things defensively wasn't there or, or in attack. You know, we weren't punching holes through these guys and we weren't stopping them. Um, so... Some of that is so the younger Japanese players, if they're only 80 kilos, they do have to get bigger. So we'd have to try as hard as we possibly can to put weight on these guys. So that could be through preseason, more gym sessions, bigger gym sessions, higher volume training. Um, we provide them with food. So they'll have a big gym session. They go into lunch, which is a buffet style, so they can eat as much as they can. Nice. Um, so do, you do you track that sort of thing? So do you say, hey, guys – you know, you should be having this many calories a day or you just sort of unleash them on their own? Uh, so we, we have a nutritionist and she'll work with the players as a group but then also individually. So if there's people that need to gain weight, she'll sit down with them and talk to them about what they do. Uh, generally speaking, like a rugby player might not be the same as a someone who's really into fitness and someone who's going to weigh all their food and, and track their macros. However, what they can do is just take photos of their food and discuss it with the nutritionist. So this is my typical breakfast, this is my typical dinner. Uh, this is what I have for lunch, these are my protein shakes, whatever it is, and then she'll make some recommendations based on that. So, hey, more protein here and here and here, or we need you to gain weight, we're going to have some more carbs here and here and here. Um, so that is something we definitely keep keep track of. Yeah. Uh, and then, guys, we main we measure their body weights um, and monitor their, monitor their body weight and body composition yep. throughout, throughout the season. Okay. And um, with their gym sessions then, so if uh, – if, if these guys are going to be eating a bit more, trying to put on a bit of weight, um, and you said you might give them an extra, so longer gym sessions, a bit more volume, try to sort of build up a little bit in the off season. Um, how, are you, how are you approaching that in terms of um, per player? Is it a per player, everyone gets their own individual plan, or is it more by playing group? Is it a little bit more generalized? So it's like a tight five, hey guys, we're doing this sort of work. Um, how, how are you splitting that up uh, within the team? Yeah, we, so it's, not just on position, because you could have two wingers, for example. One needs to be bigger and stronger. One needs to be leaner and faster. So they could have very different goals, even though they're the same position. So we usually just base players based on, on a group of their goals. So we have a group at the moment of hypertrophy players, typically the younger Japanese guys. doesn't matter what position they are, but they, they need more muscle mass. They're all a bit body. undersized? Yeah, they're all a bit undersized. Yeah. So we're going to smash them in the gym. So their program will be higher sets, higher reps, sets of you know, five sets of ten four sets of 12, those sorts of higher hypertrophy, typical almost bodybuilding style program. Yep. Uh, we might have guys that are 
their body weight's fine. Like they're, they're big units, they're powerful units. So we keep them on more of a strength and power program. We do have some guys that are older, so they might be on more of a age-specific... The out-to-pasture program? Yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's the age-specific program? The over-35s So, so program. just what, like like less plyometricy and sort of explosive yeah. work and just a bit more general strength? Or? Yep, yep. So maybe... Um, so these guys say they've got a big injury, injury profile. So it's not about squeezing performance out of them. It's about keeping them on the pitch so they can keep playing. Longevity. Yeah, longevity, robustness. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter if they don't squat 250 ever again. It more matters that their knees are healthy and their ankles are healthy and their lower backs are healthy. Yeah. So that might be a different program where just more unilateral work. There's more coordination, balance work. There's just things that are it's better suited for them. Rather with these young guys, yeah, we're pushing them in the gym. Let's let's put 10 more kilos in that bar this week. Let's go h- harder, heavier, more volume. And then, then as they get that over, yeah, we've got some guys that are well into their 30s. And then probably a lower total volume of work because they might not be able to recover as well as a 23-year-old. Mm. Uh, and then just more specific for their for their bodies. Yeah, Talk, talking about that, what what's this sort of average age group that you're dealing with now at, at a professional level there, or in your team at least? Uh, so in Japan, we get guys out of university, so it's similar to say an American professional football where they come out of college. Yeah. So in Japanese rugby, they'll go through university, and they have university rugby, which is really really big for them. What uni did you go to? Where did you play? Who did you play with? And then they go into professional league. Uh, so they come in and they're 23-ish years old. Typically their training background isn't high because uh, they've had a squad of, say, 100-plus. So they've just been – there's been no – the, the college at, team will be 100-plus. Yeah, at the university Gee, level. That's a big. that's a big – uh, that's um, pretty impressive. I didn't realise there was that sort of draw to rugby in Japan. Massive, huge. Really? And so they, uh, they haven't really been anything – it's just been very general – playing rugby, there's usually some injuries have come through. Um, so then we get them into our program and we, yeah, hopefully try and build, put some weight on them, um, build them up. We do get some guys that are big and strong. Definitely there's some Japanese guys that are like equally as big and as strong as you, significantly Wait, I don't know. I'm a, actually on a, on, a, <laughs> on a cleansing weight weight cut right now. Yeah. So, you know. We've got some like Japanese back rowers. This guy, one guy is 107 kilos. Yep. He's lean, he's fast, he's powerful, he's strong. Um, yeah, he's what you'd want from a professional rugby player. Yeah, and great. And there is also those those smaller guys. So on age profile, so we have that end of things. So there's 22, 23-year-olds. They've recruited some young guys out of Australia. So if you're in Japan for five years, you then qualify as being Japanese. So if you're 19 and maybe don't have an opportunity to play professionally in Australia and a, a Japanese club approaches you and says, hey, you could come up here five years. By the time you're 24, you're actually Japanese. Mm. You can be making really, really good money. Yeah, um, and you can have a full career, long-term career here. I think um, I don't know if you're familiar with Brent, Brent Murphy, who played at Basie and then at UWA. His yeah. older brother did that. I think he was he played in Japan for quite a few years and right. was considered a local at some yeah, point. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. So, so uh, how many years have you been there? <laughs> I've been there for eight years. So, are you like have you have you uh, get, get yourself your dual citizenship? What's going no, on here? No, no, no. You can't. I don't think you can have dual citizenships in Japan. Really? Yeah, it's like you're either Japanese or you're not. Japanese or, or bust? Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, well, that's, you know, I thought you'd come back and have, you know, 
get a no. Japanese passport? And, you know? No, I, so I, I just, I'm an Australian. Okay. Yeah, I don't qualify as Japanese. Right. You're just a foreigner. You're just, <laughs> just one of those foreigner. foreigners over there stealing yeah. local jobs. No, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. That's, uh, that's, that's interesting. Um, with, your, with your exercise selection, because this is one that I wanted to get into as well, um, and how you perform your exercises, for example. Let's say, I mean, like squ- back squatting, super important for almost every position, I would assume, right? You know, good full body strength, good good quad drive, yeah. hip drive, all these things that are really important for a rugby player. How do you assess how they squat to a certain standard? Uh, and what I mean by that is, I know at the at the force for a while, the Western force, they were using the um, gym aware and they were looking at, you know, total dip. So the centimeters moved, it was like, you've got to move at 50 centimeters. But if you're really short versus really tall, that's obviously really different. You have people that have, different length legs that some might do a really sit back squat, like powerlifting style that really struggle to get below parallel. And some of those guys are really short femurs that can just do an ass to grass vertical, you know, really high bar squat. So do you try to take a player by player approach on that? Or do you have, like you say, hey, just squat how it feels comfortable. Like, do you have to ever be like, hey man, that's a quarter squat, that doesn't count. Like, like squat properly. How do you deal with different players when it comes to like holding certain standards in the gym? Because obviously their primary job is rugby player, not squatter, not deadlifter. But those things still go hand in hand with developing that strength, that size. So how do you sort of monitor that with your with your players? Yeah, there's a few a uh, few different areas. When I was first up there, I had the opinion everyone's got to squat full range. Everyone's got to squat ass to grass. And you're going through this process, and there might be a guy who's say over 30, and he's never squatted ass to grass in his life. And then here I am forcing him into these positions with load, and the lower back goes. Yeah. So now I'm injuring people's lower backs because I, I think they need to be squatting full range of motion. Ideally, everyone can squat full range of motion, but realistically, not everyone can. Yeah. So certainly encourage them to get into full range of motion. We're working towards that. If they can't, if they're really jammed up through their hips or their knee or their ankle or something, what I'll do is get them to do, say, a single leg pistol squat that is full range of motion. I'll get them to do something that is a a very full range of motion, but it possibly is unloaded. But I'm still taking their body, their knee, their hips, their ankles through that full range of motion. And then we'll get the load through something like a trap bar deadlift or a box squat. Uh, it's not ideal, but it's practical to a rugby player that has a lot of injuries and they've had knee injuries, ankle injuries. They've never squatted. They might have never squatted full range before. Um, so ideally, yeah, so look, I'd work with just the individual. Do they have that range of motion? Can they achieve that? If they can, great. We are squatting. There's no quarter squatting. We're not doing that. So most people can at least get some sort of half squat, even if they have tightness. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've learned the hard way just not to force every single person into a full squat. Yeah. Because they, not everyone can. And then there'll be some sort of weak link somewhere that will go. Yeah. It's usually their lower backs. Yeah, right. Um, so if that situation, the guy with the lower back, like, okay, we're going to do, you know, we get a TRX and you hang off that. We use something to support yourself and do a full range pistol squat. So we're getting full ass to grass and then uh, we're getting the load, some sort of heavy stimulus through, say, a trap bar deadlift or on the high handle. So it's a limited range of motion, but we're still getting that heavy load, but it should be a safe range of motion for them. And then in an unloaded position, we're getting, achieving that full range of motion. So then I just kind of break it up into those two parts. Yeah, right. Um, that, that, that's a good way to go about it, I guess. Because, I mean, you sort of have to have that individual approach. Um, but you also want to have a high standard across the whole squad. Yeah. Yeah, which is good. Um, if you were uh, – and, and you've touched on injury. We'll talk about injuries in a second, prevention and, and sort of uh, mechanisms about how you sort of improve, improve there. Um, in terms of, of rugby, if you had to pick – 
like a handful of exercise selection that every rugby player should be comfortable with or, or familiar with that they can work on in the gym, especially for up and coming rugby players as well. Like what would your top five be and, and, and why? Yeah. So there's definitely, I don't think there's any exercises that you have to do. Like I think of some of the guys in my squad, um, either Japanese or foreigners, and maybe they're just a bit older. And as I said before, like they might never squat again, but they can still play professional rugby. They just have to modify things. So you could look at not specifically exercises, but general movements, like, for example, a hip hinge. So it could be an RDL. That could be a good morning. It could be something just where you're hinging your hips. So typically everyone in my squad will be doing RDLs. But if for some reason they can't, we'll, we'll still get some sort of hip hinge exercise in. And then, so we're saying, talking about squats. So it could be a squat. Then I've had a guy that's he had a um, lower back herniated disc, not not from squatting, but just from general rugby. So he doesn't squat, but he might front squat. He might split squat. So he might do some sort of, some exercise where he's bending his knees basically and his hips simultaneously. Yep. Um, we'll do something unilateral. So that could be a walking lunge, um, a split squat, a rear foot elevated or front foot elevated split squat. Uh, and then with upper body movements, just generally speaking, a push and a pull. So not everyone can bench press, not, or not everyone can overhead press. Is very commonly, say in rugby, is just a tight, tight shoulder, tight shoulders, tight or shoulders. like slap tears, labrums, yeah. all that yeah. sort of stuff. And just yeah, anteriorly tight, so they're like this, so they can't get their arms up. So you're trying to make them do an overhead press, and they end up doing this. Yeah, leaning way back, yeah. and yeah, cooking their backs as well. So uh, a dumbbell press, an incline press, a bench press, and then some sort of pull. So that could be a chin up, a row. Any rowing variation, there's there's hundreds of them. So rather than saying specifically, oh, they have to bench and squat and chin up, it's yeah, let's do a push and a pull. Um, but what? How can we work that in with your body? Okay. So all right. So in terms of upper body, you're looking at a push. You're looking at a pull. Lower body, you're looking at a squat and a hinge, um, and then some sort of like uh, unilateral, unilateral work. work yeah. So just individual legs, um, individual leg, you know, component. Yeah. Um, what about sort of like plyometric work? Would that just slot into those categories? So like, hey, we want you guys to be explosive as well, not just strong. So, you know, jump squats, box jumps, um, all that sort of stuff, but bounds. Would you just include, all right, well, your plyo box jump is just going to be a squat, a squat movement basically because you're squatting down, doing a counter movement jump up. Um, would that be counted in that? Or do you, do you sort of look separately and say, hey, this is strength training, now let's look at plyometrics. Do you approach them differently? Yeah, so we'll we'll um we'll work plyometrics in th- through the week in in a gym scenario, um, and we approach it from a few different ways. So there's plyometrics that are very quick on the ground. Your typical plyometrics, so like a rebound jump or a depth jump, where you're hopping or bounding, or you're springing from your feet. Yep. Or you're using your ankles. There's other things, just like a standard, say just a standing broad jump. You wouldn't classically call that a plyometric, but it's still a lower body power development movement. Uh, there's things like Olympic lift variations where you're really driving the power through your legs. Uh, so we, we sprinkle them in through the week. We'll have plyometric exercise through the week, say hurdle bound. That could be single leg, double leg, big hurdles, small hurdles. Uh, there could be things like starting from a seated box jump. So you're starting from a seated position and then just driving up, which so doesn't involve any sort of counter movement jump. Uh, so there's a, a number of different plyometric exercises and we'll use them as a, ver- a variety of them through the week. Typically in a week, if we have a game on a Saturday, the Thursday gym session we refer to as a spark up and there's usually more pl- 
plyometric or power type exercises on that day. So we're not looking at. So this is mid season, sorry, during season. Yeah, through the season. So game Saturday. And then Thursday's the last, the last gym session, so lighter, lighter, a bit more so dynamic. We're not going to be doing 10 sets of RDLs or not anything like really heavy and eccentric component. We're going to do things that are lighter, faster, and a minimal eccentric component. So yep. the eccentric or the lowering of the weight usually makes you a bit sore and a bit more fatigued. So not that you can't do any, but we'll just do a smaller amount of that on a Thursday and we'll do more power-related things. So we might do a push press with a hurdle bound. Uh, we might do a high pull might do power clean, those sorts of movements. We also might do some a little bit of heavy legs, might do a three by three front squat, something like that. But just a just a minimal amount of heavy. Yep. More on the power side of things. Going back through the week, so if they start the week on a Monday, they've had a game on a Saturday, more general movement. A lot of the guys will be quite sore, fatigued. They're trying to take them through take them through those large ranges of motions we spoke about. So like an overhead squat, even just with a broomstick. Some of those, like a walking lunge, just to get movement through the hips, through the legs. Uh, Tuesday is your main sort of strength hypertrophy day. So we are doing more sets, more reps, heavy weights. We might be doing five sets of squats or bench press or those sorts of things. Yeah. So really during season, it's um, it's quite limited. It's only three sessions really in the gym. you got one sort of recovery lighter session, one main session, and one sort of bit faster more dynamic session that's light again. Yeah. Um, and I think we've talked about this before, either on the first or the second podcast that we've done together, because this is our third podcast, everyone. Um, that you said that the rugby players is generally going to be the weakest uh, they are towards the end of the season, right? Because they've had this whole season of getting beaten down physically on the field and is not con- conducted to, to having strong and, and, and numerous gym sessions during the week. So, so during the season, you have those three sessions, you know, one main, one dynamic, one little bit of recovery, just to sort of try to maintain their, their performance during the season, get that longevity out of them. So coming into off season now, does that increase up to four times a week? Does it, again, is it player specific? How, how are you approaching that? Yeah, definitely. So off season now, so that, that young group that I spoke about, they'll be in the gym five times a week. Yes, so we'll good. Have five hard bodybuilding style gym sessions. Right. So it's going to be like, say, upper, lower, upper, lower another upper um so we're just we're just smashing them in the gym because there's not a high there'll be a little bit of running because you want them to maintain their fitness mm-hmm. but for those guys specifically i'm not too worried about their fitness i know they'll get fit through preseason. what i am worried about is them taking some time to dedicate to putting on some size and some mass yeah um other guys say if they're not in that group they might be four times a week so we still want them to build as much strength and muscle as possible throughout the season yep. oh, yeah sorry through to, to have through the off the season, season yeah. to go into the season with yeah, yeah right interesting um, you're talking about you know maintaining their fitness now as well two two different pathways I guess you know you got your old school style where you would just you know flog people lap after lap for for conditioning you know sprints and sprints and sprints um, which might still have its place sometimes um, I guess you still see rugby league guys doing was it the bronco is it the bronco test yeah we, yeah, yep. we, did, we did the bronco, the bronco test. test as well yep. which is actually quite a bit of running um, in, in yep. one shot 1.2 k's 1.2 yeah. k's right um, but also in more recent years I say recent years at least the last decade there's been a, a much bigger emphasis on on small game play so small um, game drills to really get the heart rate up whether that's touch or some sort of variation or, or some sort of you know variation or limited contact but things that you can do at a really high intensity for five to ten minutes um, to, to work how do you guys decide what's best um, what sort of you know fitness and condition do you guys implement for your squad so typically say in season we won't do much if any straight line running certainly not as a whole group we don't get the whole group together and just run shuttles backwards and forwards there may be times 
So if you've been on the bench and you've only played 10 minutes and there's only one of you, it's hard to play a small side of game with one person. Mm. So it's like, okay, mate, we're going to have to do some top-up running to get your volume where we need you to be. So if we look at a week, this is just a very rough example. We want you to hit about 20Ks of running and we want you to hit around 2Ks of high-speed running. Might be 130 accelerations or whatever it are is. They, are these real numbers? Are you just pointing out? Oh, how- very generally real numbers. So you're just talking about um, – but does that, does that change for position as well? Yeah, it change for position. All right. So if you're looking at a, a you know a back rower versus yeah. let's say a back rower versus a tight five. Yeah. Um, what sort of range would they be expected to be running in a week? Uh, so, uh, and I only say this because, and I mean this, is because forwards win games, not backs. All right. Let's continue. Mate, they, this is from the professional rugby. They say forwards win games. That's right. But the backs determined by how much. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So you need a big forward back. You need it. You need a strong forward back. So yeah, all right. So you know, if you got if you got um, a tight five versus a back rowers, you know, on average, how many k's a week are they are they expected to be running in the um, off season or during this during the season? Let's say. So back rowers are usually right up there with centers. They're oh, usually yeah, right. the yeah. fitter guys on the team. Mm-hmm. They get through a lot of work, uh, but then they also are bigger bodies. So th- they can be some of the, the better athletes going around. Because they're bigger, but they're running just as much as I some would of say the, that's highly probable. Some of the backs, the, yeah, the the, the the back rowers are the, the yeah. best athletes of the team, yeah. Yeah. big units. Yeah. Uh, so, what we're looking at, say through preseason, the prop might be somewhere around twenty, depending on how big they are. Like if they're one hundred and thirty kilos, they might not get twenty k's. Mm. Um, maybe they're seventeen, eighteen k's, and then as a percentage of high speed running, so just to make it easy, if it's twenty. And two Ks of that is high speed. That'd be a that'd be a heap for a prop. Um, for a prop, maybe it's closer to this is through preseason, say fifteen hundred meters, even a K. So you're looking at like um, somewhere in that seven to ten percent uh, yeah. of your total volume yeah. would be at high speed. Yeah, for a prop. Yep. Backs, you're more like over ten, so okay. twelve to fifteen percent. Um, so a back, a really a big week might be through preseason twenty five to 30 so then if they're covering if i see three k's of high speed running i'm like oh wow that's a that's solid mm. i know you're working very hard and you're getting fitter right and um and you're tracking that all with gps yeah yeah and then how many sessions is that spread across because 20k is even for a prop that's actually this is a fair distance you know is it is that across like four field sessions three uh so we'll have is this in preseason we're talking about or? let's go preseason let's yep. go preseason first and then we can talk so about we'll during the season as well Probably six sessions. Six sessions pre-season. And we two double days in there. So a unit's in the AM and a team session in the PM. Okay. So somewhere between three and four Ks per session in that case. For a prop, yes. For, for a front row, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. And then how does that change when you're going into season then? So pre-season, you know, they're hitting the gym five times a week. Yeah. They're hitting five, six field sessions a week. Yeah. Um, and then in the season, that changes down to three gym sessions roughly. And how many field sessions? So we'll still have a Monday team session, which is generally a bit lighter. Tuesday, and every team can be different. Um, some people do it together, some people split it up. But we'll do an AM units and a PM team. Now, in the AM unit, speaking of conditioning, we may get the forwards to top up with a little bit of running, as in some shuttles. For example, running six 50-metre efforts. Yeah. So it's, it's talking about like three minutes of work. So mm. it's not we're not flogging guys with straight line running. The reason we don't use small-sided games, to go back a subject always is that um so you don't use small sided games at all no no we do we okay do okay a yeah lot. or it's just actually just training rugby training yes yeah rugby tra- yes small yeah, sided yeah. games yep. really um so we get our main conditioning from 15 on 15 rugby 
and then we analyze that GPS. Are guys working hard? Yes, they are. Great. We don't need to do any more fitness. That, that would be ideal. But then there's guys, say they're a bench player, or if they're maybe a bit lazy and they haven't worked hard in that small side of game, but when you do make them do straight line running and you're saying get from here to here in eight seconds, they, they just have to work hard. So there's there are a few situations where we do do straight line running to top up, or mm. shuttles or repeat sprints. But majority, the 90% of our work comes from rugby training. Yeah, okay. And then we're measuring that through the GPS. Perfect. So yeah, I got nice. off topic there. What was the... No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that was, that, that was, that, that's basically what, what, I was, um, what I was after there. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good, good way to go about it because you want to be as specific as possible and there's nothing more specific than actually training, training rugby, sure. is there? 100%, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that is good that they both have their, have their role there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, injuries. All right. So we've talked about actually no. Before we get to injuries, one more bit before injuries, we'll talk about um, how you're going to approach improving um, at the contact zone. We've talked about putting on more size and more mass, um, but also uh, how are you going to be adjusting the actual, you know, the rugby training to, to focus on that? Like, does that mean just more of the time is dedicated to contact type drills because of that fine line to walk? Of doing more contact, you're elevating your risk of injury. Yeah, because exactly. contact yeah. by its nature is uh, carries inherent risk, right? Yeah. So how do you balance that? You know, have you had a talk with the other coaches about how that's going to yeah. look this next season? And that is that's for probably each team to decide individually, and it is for someone like myself to discuss with the head coach or the defence coach um, how much is the right amount, and it's always a balance. There might be some weeks, might be a six day turnaround you had a bad loss and you've got a short week, so you've, you're missing one of those sessions and you think, hey, we're actually not going to do any full contact in training this week because these guys have had to travel. They've been smashed on a Sunday. They've had to catch a plane. We're then training Tuesday and Wednesday and then we're playing again on a Saturday. Where do you fit full contact into that week? Well, maybe maybe you don't. Um, but you could still do contact skill work, which is what in that situation what we would do. So it might be on the pads or it might be just one-on-one tackling technique, um, like contact preparedness. But yeah, it, it is a balance uh, to find like how many minutes. We call it red contact, as in full contact, live contact, how much you do, what does that look like? Is it full field? Is it you know 15 to 15 full contact? Is it one-on-one full contact? There's pros and cons to both. So there might be a thought that would say, hey, we'll just do one-on-one because it's a smaller setting. But if it's one-on-one, I know that I'm just going to smash you and it's going to be big contact because you're not passing, you're not running, you're just running at me and I'm going to whack you. If it's, say, 10-on-10, you know, you've got part of the field, it's like, I don't know if you're going to offload, if you're going to pass, if you're going to step, I don't know what you're going to do. So it's a bit more game-like. But then maybe there's higher speeds involved and bigger distances. So maybe then there's more risk in that. So it's about finding the right drill, What's the team poor at? Is it is it one-on-one tackles for just these five guys? Then maybe they do more of that. Yeah. Is it ruck, ruck at the ruck or in the mall? Yeah, yeah. breakdown right. work, yep. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Um, I guess move into uh, injury and injury prevention. So I know we've talked about before as well, you had a couple of tests like repeated jump tests um, to sort of see you know, if, you know, if someone's performance is starting to dwindle down a little bit, um, that they're maybe at a slightly higher risk of getting injured. Um, what sort of protocol do you and the team um, and the management use in there to to sort of assess if players are close to injury and how do you sort of manage those players? Um, yeah. Well, so we use uh, every day the players fill in a, some software. They've got an app on their phone and we use Kitman Labs and they will say, hey, I'm feeling sore, tired, fatigued. So we look at this data first thing in the morning as a medical team. 
um, who's sore, who's tired, who's telling us that they're fatigued. There's a little like a body map on there they can press like their hamstrings and say these are these are ten out of ten tightness and soreness. Mm. If that comes through, we'll go and speak to that player and maybe we modify their training. Might be their running load. Maybe if we did have some of that conditioning, maybe they're just out of that. Could we modify the gym session? So oh, he's telling us that his legs are absolutely cooked and we've got a heavy squat session. Well, let's modify the gym session right. so he's not completely cooked. So first protocol is is first up person feedback from the player themselves. Yep. Uh, of note is that different players report different things pretty consistently. So you might get people that are high reporters or low reporters. So my five and your five could be completely different. Right. And so you get guys that come through and they're all red, but they're all red every day. You know, they've had three <laughs> days off and they're all, oh, I'm a five, I'm a 10 out of 10 for soreness and fatigue. And you think, well, <laughs> you're fine. Yeah. Keep going. Or then there's guys that are always going to just put ones, even though they are carrying injuries. Yeah, they're, they're sore and they're tired, but then for them it's like, no, I'm a one out of 10. Um, so you just need to be aware of those individuals. And um, that's where some more like metric data could be handy. Yep. So we would look at say, uh, acute to chronic ratios. So if, um, for a, a long period of time, you're always reporting ones, but then you report a three, well, then that's going to be a bit of a spike for you, um, as an individual, but then there might be someone that always reports a five. So even though. The guy reports a five, the five is higher than the three. But for you, a three is high. It's a big jump, yeah. It's a big jump. Um, but for this guy, the fives is his baseline. So how far off from baseline are you? And then we also look at uh, musculoskeletal screening. So we'll do things like a sit and reach test, need a wall test, and, and a jump test. So And so how, how often do you do, do that? Uh, we'll do that um, every first day of the week, so usually every Monday. Yep. So they come in, they've had a game on a Saturday, they've had Sunday off. Monday morning team training, before that happens, they'll be doing, say, a sit and reach, like a hamstring flexibility check, left leg, right leg, double leg. Um, and then we review that data. Is it Are you, say, 10% down or 30% down on last week? Well, maybe your, your body's tightened up, you haven't recovered properly. Let's look at this. Um, or are you you're on par with every week? Mm. So there's that side of things. There's also looking um, analysing the GPS data. So if you've had some weeks and you're 20Ks, 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 and then last week you've gone and hit 30Ks, well, first of all, you, that shouldn't happen. But if it did happen, um, we're like, oh, okay. So that would, again, spike this acute to chronic ratio. So uh, a long-term average versus a short-term. So your long-term average is 20. Now you've had this spike of 30. So that would be uh, um 50% increase. So I'm just doing some mental math That's here. That's all good, yeah. Um, and so that would give you a, a one5 so ideally, we want to keep you below one point three. Okay. Um, so your so thirty percent. Thirty percent. Thirty percent is your range for for yeah. um, for distance for like GPS data. Yeah. Yep. Do you carry that thirty percent across um, in volume for like for gym, for example? Because I think I remember reading some old literature quite a while back that would say you know you're putting yourself at increased risk of injury if you start to go like fifteen percent jumps or, or above 20 percent more volume per in, week. In volume, yeah, 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 definitely. So we wouldn't we wouldn't look to push the volume much more it can be different with um the gym volume because if you go from three sets to four sets now you've done a like a 20 percent increase in volume yeah realistically like it sounds like a lot but it's like just one extra set right um but yeah we, that is that is monitored we don't want to have some huge spike in say number of sets of lower body if we've been going along and you've been doing 
15 sets a week of legs, of legs, of legs every week, 15 sets. And then we have make you do 30 sets of, of lower body in a week. Right. Um, that's when we double your workload. Yes. And that's going to be an issue. Okay. So, yeah, so you are looking at that volume increase for, for weights. You're looking at a volume increase for running. What about your, um, like your sit and reach test and your repeated jump test and, and, and those sort of um, tests? What sort of decrease are you looking at that puts you um, in a in like in the red zone? You know, uh, like so we, look at this player. So we can look at like say a standard deviation from the mean. So if you're one standard deviation um, from your average, uh, and then we've got some software that calculates this for us. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to sit with the calculator. Beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah. So we will look at a, a standard deviation, or it could be say twenty percent um, might get highlighted as yellow, and then thirty percent is red. Uh, and it, yeah, and it lets us go and have a conversation with that player. And then if that comes up, and you think, oh, let's relook at his, his GPS data, is that all fine? How about his game load? Was his game load on part of other game loads? Because um, sometimes you think, yeah, he's reported a bit of, a bit more soreness, but looking at all these numbers, everything's fine, and he can just train. Um, but other times, yeah, we'll, we'll modify people, and it can be heavily like we can just rule them out of a session and say, look, this and this and this has happened. Like we had a prop who was, you know, meant to play 40 minutes in a game and he ended up playing 80. And then so he's probably doubled his game load. Um, there's been a number of other factors and we've said, this guy probably shouldn't be training today. Well, he's a risk. So he might just do some jog throughs and some walk throughs and then that, that's it for his day. Right. Okay. Um, I guess touching on to a bit more into injury as well. This last season, Wallabies had a whole bunch of injuries. Wallabies being uh, national Australian side for those that are, that are wondering, the Australian Wallabies. They had a whole bunch of Achilles tendons go which was a bit strange because you might see like one in the season, but they had, do you recall, was it four? four? Yeah, they, they did have a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you actually happen to be working with one of them who plays for the Kitetsu line. It's Quade Cooper. Yeah. Right? So were you involved in his recovery sort of this season um, from that injury? Did he have to have surgery? And sort of what was your approach to that? Because, I mean, Quade, um, uh, for those that, that aren't, aren't familiar as well, is you know, a bit of a standout player. Like he was, you know, Definitely a bit of a weapon, and he's had some injuries on and off, and and um, he's still quite a high quality player. Um, so how do you how do you sort of approach that? Like, is he a marquee player on the team? Yeah, yeah, he, he's definitely uh, key for us. Yeah, so you'd add three international players on your team, as in that are capped from another country. Okay, and he's one of us. Yeah, so three marquee players. Um, how many? How many? Is there a certain quota of like how many people have to be local as well? Yeah, so you're you're only allowed four non-Japanese players on the field. Okay. But then you've, what comes in is that you've got a number of these guys that have, say, been there for five years. That so are he's from New Zealand okay. or from Australia. Right. He's been there for five years, so now he's Japanese. Okay. So while you might have four genuine Australians or South Africans on the field, yeah, you've then got other guys that aren't Japanese but are Japanese and yeah. they're, they're playing as well. Okay, cool. So then cycling back to, to Quaid then, yep. how did you approach um, his rehab going into the season? Uh, so it worked really closely with the Wallabies. Um, they were excellent. They um, provided us with a lot of information, all the tools we needed, uh, and they. I was guiding what was set from them, so they they helped out massively. Like I'm not I'm not a physio, but uh, I can definitely, you know, work in that space. So we took their lead on it, and and we got him back to yeah full strength. Excellent, excellent return to play. Um, so he came back. There was a funny thing people may have seen where he played one minute of a game, or he played like thirty seconds of a game. So we needed him to qualify. We knew he wasn't quite ready to play the game, but we needed him to play that game in order to qualify for our relegation games, which is very important. Yeah. So he literally walked on the field, kicked the ball, and then walked off. Yeah, that's um, that, that's something that you'll see even in, in local rugby where um, you're trying to get players qualified for 
for um, second grade, um, you know, you can play up, but you mm. can't play, you can't qualify down sort of. So you'd have maybe a few first grade players kicking the ball for kickoff and then yeah. coming off, leaving right? The field. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then leaving yeah. the field. Um, did he have to have surgery on his Achilles? Yeah. So uh, Was it a full rupture? An, an Achilles, yeah, full rupture. Full so rupture. An Achilles right. rupture is a pretty major injury for anyone. Yes. It's, takes, um, it's the tendon that takes the most strain to the body yeah. if I'm... Um, yeah. And, and so when you're sprinting, you're putting up to 10 times your body weight through your Achilles. Yeah. So if you're a 90 kilo guy, it's 900 kilos of force through your Achilles when you're sprinting. Yeah. Um, so it equates probably 92 kilos or so. Um, so you, it's a huge amount of force. And then when that ruptures, you know, it's, it's like it's a huge cable spring in your body that has just snapped. So they had to surgically reattach it. It's a very long injury to cover from. Um, but we had no no issues along the way. Yeah. Um, full credit to him. Very dedicated to his rehab. Uh, ran really well. Very applied. Strength training. How do you how do you approach a rehab? Is it do you look at trying to get range of motion back into that ankle first because it's been I'm assuming immobilized for quite yeah. a while. Yeah. So just like body weight, sort of like knee over toe work. Um, you go into calf rate. Like how do you sort of progress someone with an injury like that? Yeah. So the um, you'd look at yeah range of motion is a big one and in any injury, knee injury, elbow, shoulder. You you look at trying to get uh, achieve your range of motion, and then you look at strengthening that. So first step we range of motion. Then we're looking at the strength in his calf. And, and Achilles, and and then we integrate the running. So by the time he came back to running, we knew he had great strength in his calf and, and Achilles, so we knew it wasn't going to be an issue. So rather than putting the um, the horse before the cart and just get him running, it was, well, let's get him as strong as possible through that part of his body. Um, so literally like calf raises, weighted calf raises, single leg, um, st- straight leg, bent, le- bent knee, uh, and then integrate the running and then very slowly, as we talk about that acute to chronic ratio, just building back up. So someone that's starting from zero, if he hasn't run for nine months, you've just got to start very slowly. It might be one kilometre a week and then you gradually progress that volume and intensity up over time, over time, over time. Yep. And yeah, we got him back and he played 60 minutes in the last game. That's great. Yeah, and and he's excellent. It was really pivotal for our team. Um, how many seasons has he been with the Kintetsu Liners? Uh, I think this is his fourth. Fourth. So you have a bit of background data in terms of what he was squatting or hex bar deadlifting or whatever before that. Yeah. Um, so that's how you know he's back up on par with where he was or, or beyond sort of where he was. Yeah, and also a big one for us is running intensity. So I knew what his max acceleration was before. It took max acceleration be heavy on Achilles uh, plyometric ability. Yeah. And knew what his top speed is before. So we're going from that as a baseline. Where is he according to that? Yeah. So he got back, he was sprinting at um, I think ninety nine percent of his top speed and his acceleration was about yeah, ninety eight point five percent of his best acceleration. Yeah. So we know that he's very, very, very good. Yeah. And that's to say the hundred percent score would have been once in four years. So then he's hitting ninety nine, you know that he's He's right there. He's right there. Yeah. 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 Awesome. That's great. Um this is a World Cup year, twenty twenty three. So does that affect your team at all? Like, does that affect how, how you guys go into the season? Are you going to be having players like Quay that are going to be getting pulled out? Um, how does that sort of work? Yeah, so most international teams this time of year now will be assembled as a group somewhere. And so we will be missing a few players. So we'll be missing probably three or four guys. Um, and they're, they're with the national team. They're not with us. Uh, that's just how it is. Yeah. So they'll miss our preseason and our sort of trial matches. Or we might have like... The, probably be a pre-season cup, some sort of minor competition that's not a real, not the big leagues. Yeah, sometimes they'll chuck a 10s yeah, in here yeah, before yeah. a normal yeah, season there'll be, here there'll locally. Be a tournament, yeah. there'll be, yeah. Okay. And then those, once those players come back, 
they, they, they always get a little bit of a break and they come back into the team and it's usually like round one and they're just back in, back into the team. In okay, one. so it shouldn't be too disruptive for you guys then? Yeah, not for, they're just, it's just mainly through pre-season. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that we should be touching on while you're here? Because Louis doesn't come back all the time, guys. We only get him every, uh, every you know, once a year. No, man, it's very, very comprehensive. That's about everything? Good. Yeah. Perfect. What do you think of the new studio, by the way? I See, love it, Louis' first one we did, there was no video. It was audio only. No. And the second one was at my house. Yep. In my living room. That's right. And now it's at the full, the full studio. I love it. Mate. Not bad, right? Set up. Yep. Excellent. Multiple camera angles. That's it. All the yeah. gear. Cutting back, and, cutting back and forth. Yeah. This is amazing. <laughs> right? Picture in picture. Beautiful thing. Got the backdrop. It, it's excellent. Nice. Handmade. Yeah, very good. Um, awesome. Well, thanks very much for coming on. Appreciate it, as always. Um, uh, we'll be looking to get this one up in the next few days. Um, but like I said before, guys, if you haven't done so already, please like and subscribe. Help that channel grow. And um, and hopefully we'll catch Louis on the back end of a really successful next season very up in Div 1s again. We're, we're going to be bringing it, in, bringing it in strong. All right? Awesome. Thanks, I'll see mate. you next time, guys. Have a good one.